It's the imbalanced history of rock and roll time for Profiles in the Blues. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. The last time we talked about Profiles in the Blues, Marcus, it was about Bessie and the Wolf. And we really can't talk about the modern blues without the two guys that we're discussing today on the podcast. These two shaped modern rock and roll as to what we have today. An exceptionally, insanely talented, brilliant songwriter. And you have a guy who bent the blues and really made it appeal to the young white kids all over the world. They changed the blues and gave us rock and roll. In case you haven't figured it out, we're talking about Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon. Joined at the hip, brought to you by Boldfoot Socks. Check them out at boldfoot.com when you need a great pair of socks that look cool, too. Check them out at boldfoot.com. And by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. You can hear a lot of good blues there, Crooked Eye. I can tell you that, buddy. Especially on your vinyl nights when you show up and spin some of those old records. Second Tuesdays, come on out. The cats we're talking about this week were there at the beginning, man. They were there when the blues had a baby and named it rock and roll, you know? (laughs) And the funny thing is the proximity of the birthplaces of so many of our central characters in this episode. First, of course, McKinley Morganfield, born April 4th, 1913 in Issaquina County, Mississippi. That's just north of Vicksburg. That area is at the bottom of the Delta. That area is near where the Yazoo River merges with the Mississippi. With that heat and that humidity and those swampy fields. Well, my home's in the Delta. Way out on that farmer's road. It also gave us some of the most amazing musicians in the history of the 20th century. Just downriver from where Muddy was born, Vicksburg, Mississippi, the birthplace of William James Willie Dixon, July 1st, 1915, a couple years later. These two men, what they would do as they traveled and made their way to Chicago to collaborate along with others to create chess records and the amazing impact of the Chicago blues. That's a story we can't tell right here, but we're going to do our best to talk about them and their parts in it as we try to continue to build profiles in the blues here on the podcast. By the way, it's also worth noting that uh, Muddy's right-hand harmonica player, Little Walter, was born in Louisiana about 150 miles southwest of Vicksburg. Keeping that circle tight, Bo. Have you heard the rumor or the possible way that McKinley Morganfield's name, Muddy Waters, came to be? Well, there's always legends. What you got? The legend I have is his grandmother, Della Grant, who raised him after his mother died, gave him the nickname at an early age because he loved to play in the muddy waters of Deer Creek, which was nearby where he lived. Yeah, and gets the waters from that too, I suppose. (laughs) Speaking of uh, being raised, he was raised in Clarksdale, which is near the legendary crossroads of Robert Johnson. He said he never met the man. When this song come from the cotton field and the boy went put the record out, Robert Johnson, he put it out walking. What was it? title he put it out under he put it out on as name of walking blues uh-huh. did you know the tune before you heard it on the yeah, record sir. though i knew the tune before i heard it on the record uh-huh. who'd you learn it from i learned it from sun house 
Don House, who's that? That's a boy took a guitar. I don't know where y'all are. on the road. How old is Son House? Oh, I'm not even son. He's aged, but he's about 47. Did you know Johnson yourself? Robert Johnson, no, uh -huh. I didn't know him. Is, uh, is a House a, a better player than Johnson is, you think? I think they're both about equal. And while we're still in Mississippi, north of all this, closer to Memphis, Jimmy Rogers is born. He becomes Muddy's guitar player and then does his own thing and becomes his own legend. When Muddy Waters was playing around the Delta before he got to Chicago, he had heard about this white guy from the big cities up in the Northeast that wanted to talk to him. And he was all like, what's this about? Why does some white guy want to talk to me? <laughs> and he was really skeptical at first, and understandably because a lot of African Americans had been treated extremely poorly and had been ripped off in so many ways financially with music right. at that point. So, of course, he was skeptical. But when he and Alan Lomax drank water out of the same cup, he trusted him at that point. It was a big deal, man. That's a huge deal. that kind of stuff didn't just happen even in polite company. It said, you're no different to me than my brother. When Mud felt something like that, it bonded him to a person. Well, a lot of people that we're already talking about were down in Mississippi, and the place to go really was Chicago. And the bug bites young Muddy Waters, and he goes up there after he talks to Alan Lomax on the porch and all that. Uh, the recordings are pretty astounding when you think about the time. And Muddy really knew how he felt and what he was about even before he went to Chicago. Once he got there, man, he changed everything. It's fascinating to learn about that migration north for the African Americans. Some went to Chicago. It seems that the blues people and the sinners went to Chicago and the more religious gospel folk went to Detroit because you had the Motown and the jazz that came out of there, which was more innocent, as I use quotes. Think about it. And the blues. There were saints and sinners everywhere, brother. I know that. But think about the musical styles and the belief systems about those musical styles at that time. There's a word, so-and-so moved to the south side of Chicago. This one moved to the south side. This one's on the south side. We're all moving to the south side. We're somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. When people get their head around something that we're all going to move to this part of a city from, whether it's Mississippi or anywhere else, people tend to find out that others are moving that way and follow along. That's a whole pattern, and it involves other cities, too. Philadelphia, it involves Detroit, it involves Chicago, and many others as well. But that's what's going on. That's the backdrop of all this. Muddy shows up, and he's still that kid from Mississippi when he shows up in Chicago, but he finds his way, get an audition, and end up on Aristocrat Records, right? Yeah. That's where his first records came out. Well, I'm going away to live. Won't be back no more. Going back down south, child, don't you want to go? trouble. I be all right Well, babe, I just can't be satisfied And I just can't keep up And at Aristocrat, which was founded by Charles and Evelyn Aaron, she would continue to be a partner with the Chess Boys at Chess Records. They hired Leonard Chess to become like their A&R whiz. And once they got in there... And had a guy like Muddy Waters at their side, a guy that trusted them. The Chess Brothers were set. Chess Records was well on its way as it took over 
from Aristocrat in 1950 is the name on the door. Sail on, sail on, my little honeybee, sail on. Oh, yes, that famous door, 2120 South Michigan Avenue, so famous that when the Rolling Stones went there to record about it, they called this instrumental thing they cooked up 2120 South Michigan Avenue. Right there, that's where everything was happening. Studio, the offices, everything. Mud was the main guy, both at first and for a long time. But further down the road, we're going to talk more about a man who wrote almost all the songs that were huge for Chess Records. And songs that became part of the 60s and 70s music fans' musical lexicon through the covers and adaptations that would be done by bands. We'll talk about that, too. But here at the beginning, man, they needed songs. I guess that's why Willie got involved. He could probably write songs in his sleep. He probably already had 500 songs that he had written in his sleep ready to go. (laughs) In the way he wrote songs, like, you Need Love, which was lifted by Zeppelin for a whole lot of love. The line, baby, way down inside, You Need Love, came right out of that song. Mm-hmm. You are fretting, and I am pitting. Lot of good things, oh, you ain't getting. Baby, way down inside. Woman, you need love. I know you need love. And that's written by Willie, right? Got Muddy on it. Got Earl Hooker on guitar. And the great Jackie Brinston on saxophone, dude. Wow. What a lineup. All kinds of people show up on these early recordings. Yeah, Ike Turner was even involved in these early recordings in the production end as well. Muddy's version of You Shook Me and You Need Love. Willie's words, Earl Hooker's tune... And they were, of course, borrowed by the Led Zeppelin Mining Company down the line. You know you shook me, babe. You shook me all night long. You know you shook me, babe. You shook me all night long. And we're talking about songs that people know from other artists, but one of the songs that is a signature for Muddy Waters is Manish Boy that he wrote with Bo Diddley. And Mud also gets credit for Rolling Stone, which leads the Rolling Stones to adapt his song title to their name. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Oh, yeah. And Mud became good at recording songs that were initially recorded by others and making them his own, like Sonny Boy Williamson's Good Morning Little Schoolgirl. One of the first songs, and maybe this includes you, Marcus, that people hear by Muddy Waters is I Got My Mojo Working. 
It wasn't his own song. It was recorded by Ann Cole in 1956 and written by Preston Foster, but he made it famous. Another song that spoke to mud, Love the Life I Live, written by the great Willie Dixon. Here comes Willie Dixon, ladies and gentlemen. slouch marcus he wrote songs like champagne and reefer that became standards and i can't be satisfied was his first big record in 1948 that's before he knew willie and other sources for songs like we talk about in all forms of rock and roll weren't uncommon there was a butcher from gary indiana named bernard Roth who wrote great songs like 40 days 40 nights that mud turned into a classic Ship out on the sea. Praying for her each night that she would come back home to me. Life and love and love is right. I hope she come back home tonight. I remember Sugar Sweet from that time period, and what a song that is as well. It's one that uh, it's one that I had heard a friend of mine used to play that for me a long time ago. Now we talk about Led Zeppelin and other bands lifting from the blues masters. In this case, they were kind of lifting from each other. Where Muddy did a song called "Rock Me," that was based on BB King's "Rock Me Baby." Want you to rock me, rock me all. Should have rock me, rock me all I know. I want you to rock me like my back ain't got no bones theft within the era. There was a lot of that going on, and if you listen to even the early days of rock and roll, a lot of these musicians borrowed notes and chords and segments from each other and changed the songs a little bit. It was very common in those days if you hear some of the similarities between some of the old blues songs and some of the old early rock and roll songs, you hear all of that. As Chess started to come together as a label and they were having sessions, the band kind of did the same thing. Willie Dixon on the bass, as well as writing the same thing. Otis Spann on piano. Buddy Guy, the new kid, showing up on guitar. And also the more traditional songs. Songs of the early part of the century, like Rollin' and Tumblin' is based on the Rollin' Tumble Blues by Hambone Willie Newhern on OK Records out of 1929. But Mud made it his own. Now this is where the streams start to really converge. Like those two rivers... Outside of Vicksburg, man. Willie Dixon and Muddy Waters, the songs. 
Like Hoochie Coochie Man, later made famous by the Almond Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. The song Hoochie Coochie Man came together in 1953 at a Southside bar called Club Zanzibar, and I found this great article. In Paste Magazine called Forgotten Giants, Willie Dixon, the Poet Laureate of Chess Records. It was written by Jeffrey Himes in 2018. That night in 1953, Dixon grabbed Muddy Waters as he came off stage and told him he had a song that could be a hit for the singer. He said, man, this is a natural for you. And this is according to his uh, autobiography, I Am The Blues. Muddy, looking at the long column of words on the paper that Dixon gave him, said, it'll take me a while to learn this song. And Dixon, who was really kind of pushy and uh, relentless, said, no, you can do this. This is right up your alley. I've got an idea for the riff that anybody can play. Go grab your guitar. He grabbed Muddy, the guitar, took him to the bathroom door, and his customers were going in and out of the bathroom. He was like, here's your riff. And Muddy was kind of like, ah, oh, there ain't nothing to that. Willie was like, you know, the people will move to this, and the people will react to this. The gypsy woman told my mother, da-da-da-da, before I was born, da-da-da-da-da, you got a young boy child coming, da-da-da-da, he's going to be a son of a gun. And they worked on Hoochie Coochie Man in the bathroom for like 15 minutes or so. Finally, Muddy said, okay, I'll play it. Went up and played it first. The crowd reacted, and it became a staple of his set after that. Talk about a bridge to trust right there between the writer and the artist performing. And in real time in a roadhouse, can be kind of dicey, just saying, in that era. That's so awesome. And I'm just going to say, you know, Willie Dixon, in, in a lot of ways, is the essential element that made Muddy Waters a superstar in the blues world and beyond. Because his songs helped to propel him to a whole nother level. Like, I Just Want to Make Love to You. Muddy's recording with Otis Spann and Willie on the bass. Little Walter on the harp and Jimmy Rogers on guitar. I don't want you to be no slave. I don't want you to wake all day. I don't want you to be true. What an all-star band. And on all these records, Chess's secret weapon on drums, Fred Below, bam. I love listening though to Span Bang the Ivories, man. That dude is special. He 
could play like nobody's business. The feel that came out of his fingertips was just unbelievable. And the emotion that you felt from when he hit those ivories. Holy smokes. Thing looks so when you ain't got a shelter over your head. And seriously, that harmonica blowing is insane. The way uh, Little Walter just wrecks that harmonica, the harp, or whatever they call it. It sounds like he's blowing a sax. He reinvented the way the harp is played for both blues, rock, whatever contemporary form of music you want to put the label on. He reinvented the form when he started playing with Muddy. And then on his own as a solo artist before his death, he had become pretty hot in the world traveling department, you know, and had a string of hits as Little Walter. But let's talk about Muddy and Willie's songs. I'm ready. What a great song. And it it spoke to the modern blues listener in a way that refinishing songs from the past and doing those kind of things and working off of old forms didn't seem to translate. The thing that really translated, and we wouldn't even know how well until the 70s, was the way that Willie Dixon wrote shit to make it transmittable to the world and acceptable by the world because of the form. I want to be loved. What could be more profane and wonderful than that? (laughs) (laughs) But Muddy Waters wrote a lot of his own songs, including another one that made it onto an Allman Brothers album, Trouble No More. And he loved Louis Jordan. He played a bunch of Louis Jordan songs and recorded them. Let the Good Times Roll, one of the great initial songs that cross over from jump music and orchestras into rock and roll, right? There was a lot of that jump start in his early sound, and it kind of evolved from there as he... I think they all did. Yeah. Did you notice that, too, as you were listening, that bands jumped from jump, so to speak, mm-hmm. and slid right into their own thing, the way that folk artists were doing, too? Kind yep. Of- And some of it had to do with the electrifying of the uh, Mississippi blues because all of that was uh, acoustic. And then all of a sudden it had this little punch in the mouth or this electric oomph to it. And when they kind of sped it up a little bit and added a little kick to it, made people move. And so electricity definitely helped, man. Definitely (laughs) helped. Wow. In cycle, they had their run into the 60s. And then things kind of died down. Until a bunch of kids from England who had discovered their records started putting them on their records and their songs became popular again through the Stones, through Cream, through Led Zeppelin, right? Mm -hmm. And in the middle of it, right before Led Zeppelin drops on the world, Muddy Waters records and releases Electric Mud in 1968. This fucking record, man. If you haven't listened to it, go find it anywhere that you can find it and listen to the whole thing. It's Muddy Redefined with what's been going on in England in mind. Marcus, I don't know how familiar you are with the work that Muddy did with Johnny Winter in the 70s, made a couple of records there. And as the train got rolling in regards to newer artists supporting and working with the artists who inspired them, 
It includes an album called the Muddy Waters Woodstock album. No, he did not play at the legendary 1969 festival. Uh, but in 1975, he did go to Levon Helm's house in Woodstock and record an album that included uh, efforts behind him by Garth Hudson of the band, Paul Butterfield, Bob Margolin. Bob, if you're listening, please reach back. Pine Top Perkins, the legendary piano player. You talk about Otis Spann. He and Pine Top, man, they're the best. It also included Levon Helm on drums. And he was kind of like pulling the strings, even though Henry Glover was the producer. And this started to generate some interest in Muddy Waters amongst the younger audience. And that leads Muddy to sign with Blue Sky Records. And that leads to Muddy working with Johnny Winter for one of my favorite blues albums of all time, Hard Again, which comes out in 77. That's followed by King being 80. Two great Muddy Waters albums if you're looking for later period stuff. And Mark is, we kind of talked about it earlier. I did get to see Muddy Waters perform once, March 27th, 1981, at Emerald City in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, just across the bridge from Philadelphia. He was up there, but the band was smoldering. And the show was memorable to the nth degree, getting to see the great Muddy Waters. Lucky you got to see Muddy Waters live right before Don't the I end. Know Seriously. Now, when I was a young boy, at the age of five, my mother said, Go be the greatest man alive. But now I'm a man, way past 21. And I bet he still sounded like gold because even at the end, he still had that sexy power that he carried on stage. And it's hard to explain that charisma. I noticed it a couple times in some of the live videos that I watched that he had that thing. But to see it live, holy shit, even at the end, he still had it. In some ways, the mature voice of Muddy Waters is more of a favorite to me mm-hmm. than some of his early recordings, which I also love. Mm-hmm. But Go those ahead. two albums, King B and Hard Again, his voice is strong on those records. His voice is strong even at the end in that 1981 tour, which turned out to be his last tour. His final date of that tour was in November at the Checkerboard Lounge in Chicago, which was a Buddy Guy L.C. Thurman club. There's video of it, and it 
Eight and a half minutes in, the Rolling Stones come in because they had an off night on their Chicago nights. So they jumped in and they come in and sing Hoochie Coochie Man, Long Distance Call, Manish Boy, and Champagne and Reefer with him on his final night of the tour. And you can see the video. We'll post the link. It's on borntolisten.com, which is a rock country blues and jazz website that has some great articles. Its title is Live at the Checkerboard Lounge, Chicago, 1981. If you're looking for it, it's on Eagle Vision for the video. Pop Matters has this great quote about Muddy Waters from this performance. Muddy Waters moves like no other blues singer and watching his somewhat oddly shaped hands both pound and caress his guitar constitute both a sensual and spiritual experience. His performance early in the night of Baby Please Don't Go manages to break your heart, send shivers up your spine, and leave you more or less destroyed. Even as one of the aging elder statesmen of the Chicago Blues in 1981, he exudes an aura of sex and power, showing off every attribute that so inspired Mick and Keith and that became an ineffable part of their own music and their persona. The great, the Kinley Morganfield, on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. When we return... His partner in crime at Chess Records and in so many songs, and a man who shared his music to the world so many ways. The one and only Willie Dixon next. You know, Marcus, when Marisa got back from her power walk the other day, she started doing a testimonial for Boldfoot Socks. So I told her, hold on, and I sat her down and had her record it. Hey, Marisa, tell us all about your Boldfoot Socks. You know how much I love to go out on that 5.30 a.m. power walk, and I'm usually coming home sweating and dripping wet from head to toe. But since I bought my Boldfoot Socks, that isn't true anymore, at least not for my toes. After any workout or one of my long walks, I take off my shoes, I take off my socks, and I can't believe how dry my feet are. Even my socks aren't really that wet. These are the bold foot socks that I'm telling you about. Uh, They're so comfortable that I barely feel them on my feet when I'm walking or exercising. Every time you put on these socks, there's two words in capital letters that have so much meaning. You see the words, be bold. What that means to me is that if I'm going to go out for that walk, that jog, to the gym, wherever I'm going, it gives me a message that I can give it my best shot, that I can be empowered. I know it sounds crazy. It's just a pair of socks, but that's what it does for me. And they also wick the sweat away. That's Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Check them out and be bold. 
Hey, Ray, it's been a really fun summer, and included in that summer fun is all the happenings at Crooked Eye Brewery over in the heart of Hatboro. So much going on, including the opening of the Crooked Eye Kitchen and the arrival of Salty Vets Barbecue. Madness team started small, but demand immediately outgrew what they'd done, so they've been making more to keep people fed over there. I got to tell you, man, so much has changed in the way things are going, too, like Rich and John are doing a duet now, and they're appearing regularly in addition to all the the regulars like the Crooked Eye Band. And with the fall coming on, you're going to see some really nice fall varieties of beers in the And cider, too, probably. Don't forget, it's all there. Craft cocktails, too, at Crooked Eye at the main location right there off York Road in Hapro. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014 and now pouring craft cocktails and serving up that salty vet fall off the bone barbecue. Keep up with what's going on at the Crooked Eye Brewery by following them on Facebook. Back and refreshed on the imbalance history of rock and roll, Profiles in the Blues. We've talked about Muddy Waters, and you can't talk about Muddy Marcus without talking about Willie Dixon, but we thought it'd be great to pair them together on this extended Profiles in the Blues. You saw a documentary in the last few days that really informed you and also gave you a lot of thoughts about the whole Willie Dixon factor. Absolutely. I Am the Blues is a fantastic little documentary on Willie Dixon. His book of the same name, also absolutely important because it really gives you a feel for who Willie Dixon was and what he was about. The things that he did were just unbelievable. He came from parents that are diametrically opposite from that time period. You had the churchgoer of a mother who fell for the bad boy, the father. And so (laughs) Willie got to be a part of both worlds and that really shaped his viewpoint and allowed him to step outside both sides and see from the outside looking in And his mother was a poet also, which really impacted his writing, whereas you had uh, Muddy Waters and you had Howlin' Wolf who could just whip out these riffs off the top of their head. And then you had this guy, Willie Dixon, who's a thinker, who was literate, who loved to read, who loved to learn. And he knew that he wanted to write in some way. And so he just kept writing and the songs were always in him doing his thing and writing and traveling the world as he grew older with other blues musicians. He was doing a lot of really cool things. and But before he could get to all the really cool things, he had to make that move that they all made at some point to Chicago. <laughs> well, I ain't superstitious, but I'm blind. And that's where it all connects. All the different guys have come from all over the country. And not just these two. We're talking about dozens of people that we could talk about. We mentioned a few of them already. You know, Otis Rush and Earl Hooker and people like that. Not to mention the people who are in the Chess Records recording group. You know, the people that they work with. And Willie worked with all of them and then some. His songwriting style was pretty fascinating, especially when he wrote for other people. Willie liked to talk to the people 
He wanted to write songs for, get to know them, find out what they were about. He studied their mannerisms. He studied their vocal presentation, their delivery. Even though Howlin' Wolf ended up recording a few of his songs, Howlin' Wolf wanted to write his own songs, but he wasn't literate, but he had a lot of pride. And so he was very reluctant to take on these brilliant Willie Dixon songs. And then he ended up recording something like Evil. And he was like, all right, I'll record some of your songs. And it helped him learn how to write his own songs too. Well, if you call on the telephone and she has a lot of snow, grab the first thing smoking after you have the whole boat. That's evil. Evil is going on wrong. I am warning you, brother. You better watch your happy. He was a brilliant man without a formal education who changed the world. You mentioned him writing songs out of real-life situations, and that's the source for I Can't Quit You, Baby, which he wrote for Otis Rush about a real relationship obsession. As reluctant as Helen Wolf was at the beginning to record some of Willie's songs or anybody else's songs, he came around pretty quick on songs like Little Red Rooster or Spoonful. Backdoor Man, which was later recorded and borrowed by the Doors, all stringed together back to Willie Dixon. Wolf really went over the top, too, man. I Ain't Superstitious, one of the great songs that translates to its 60s life with the Yardbirds, right? Yep. We're built for comfort, not for speed. That was really Willie's theme song, you know, because he was a big guy, tall, big, round guy, built for comfort, not for speed, ladies. Yep. Whereas Wolf, he was a whole nother beast. And we talked about that in our episode about Bessie and the Wolf. Muddy covered a lot of his songs, too. He did You Shook Me His Way, but I'm ready. The spark in your eyes sets my soul on fire. Your voice like angels above. The touch of your hand drives me insane. But baby... And I Want to Be Loved, all songs that were big hits for Muddy Waters in his first run on the charts, and all written by Willie Dixon. 
His outlook on uh, the blues is just so fascinating, and his outlook on life. I'm really excited to step in and read his autobiography biography because there's so much wisdom in those pages. And in one of the interviews I saw, he said that blues began at the beginning. Adam was lonely. He was sad. God gave him a woman. But the blues music was developed. A woman developed. left me and she took my fucking truck. <laughs> she ate the apple. immediately went country. Straight country. <laughs> <laughs> she ate the apple and broke my heart. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's right in there, man. It's yep. right in there. Finish that. You better finish that. I don't know if I can, but uh, <laughs> but he also said that the uh, blues was musically developed on the plantation. The plantation owners thought the slaves were singing to a rhythm, but they were actually delivering a message. The rhythm convinced the slave drivers that the workers were working hard. Stupid slave drivers. <laughs> hey. You know what song kind of uh, got that whole thing going you were talking about before? When you sing Wang Bang Doodle all night long. Come on, sing with me. We all sing Wang Bang Doodle all night long. All All streaming back to Willie Dixon, the great Willie Dixon. I got to see him once. What was that like? Awesome. 1986 Chestnut Cabaret, 38th and Chestnut. It was fucking awesome. Tell Lord of Matty Slim to tell Razor Toten Jim to tell Butcher Knife Toten Nanny to tell Fast Talking Fanny Are we gonna pitch you a ball or down to that union hall? We gonna romp and trunk till midnight he was older, but it was still Willie. He did all the songs, man. He did all the songs, had an amazing band. What a great place to see music because the artists were sitting right there in that show. Same place I saw John Lee Hooker. I talked about that before on the podcast. Didn't get to meet Willie, though. And I'll just say this. The masters of your generation that you haven't seen, go see them because same situation. If I'd waited five, ten years... I wouldn't have seen Hooker, wouldn't have seen Dixon, wouldn't have seen Muddy, and others. So go, see him if you can. I would have loved to have uh, seen Muddy Waters at the end, but it looks like the last time he played Denver was in the 70s, and I, my parents wouldn't have taken me to a Muddy Waters show in the 70s. Probably not. You know. Willie had diabetes. It got the best of him, and we lost him probably earlier than we should have. Another one of the greats. Lost to us in 1992 at age 76. The one and only Willie Dixon. Always smiling. And that always came through in his songs. Like you talked about the mood of his songs. That smile, perpetual, comes through in his music too. He also enjoyed teaching the youth. He was really, really appreciative of the reception of the white kids in England, like Brian Jones and Keith Richards and all of that. And when he used to play small venues and clubs in England, 
the kids weren't allowed to be at those clubs, so he and his band would open the back door of the venues and let the kids sit outside and listen to their music. And it was brilliant because those are the kids that became the Yardbirds and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and everybody else after that. And he said that even in that little documentary, these kids would come up to me and be like, I met you here. Do you remember me? No, I don't remember you. You were a 10-year-old kid. Now you've got hair all over your face. How am I going to remember you? And he always had that great sense of humor. Long way from Vicksburg, Mississippi, over there in England with all them crazy kids from the 60s. What a trip. Oh, what a trip. All right. I guess when it boils down to is just want to say thanks, Willie Dixon. Thanks, Muddy Waters. These guys are the bridges between the blues and rock and roll. Like you said, remember, Ray, when we talked about the moment that Rocket 88 came to be and how it shook the world? Yeah, yeah. Even like when Little Richard shook the world. Muddy Waters, Willie Dixon, Howlin' Wolf were those moments as well that shook the world and gave us rock and roll. Especially the songwriting. Yeah, Yeah. Chess Records and the songwriting of Willie Dixon. Just amazing. We were talking about who recorded Willie's songs back then when they first were written. Look at the people who recorded them eventually, like Little Red Rooster, The Stones, I Can't Quit You Baby, made famous by Zeppelin, right? Spoonful, Cream, You Shook Me, Zeppelin, The Doors, Backdoor Man, right? Bring It On Home, that was a Zeppelin thing. Ain't Superstitious, Yardbirds, and later Jeff Beck, Hoochie Coochie Man, The Almond Brothers, Just Want to Make Love to You, Fog Hat. These are all bands that are classic bands that have you know, span the decades. <laughs> uh, Wang Dang Doodle. Oh, well, my favorite other version is Coco Taylor, but that's just me. That's a whole lot of woman. That's all I'm going to say, Mark. She's amazing or was amazing. This is where those songs went when they reemerged for our generation. Yeah. Monster Magnet does a cover of Evil as well, and I forgot about it until I was researching this episode. So these cats have influenced everybody along the rock and roll spectrum. Hey, you got something you want to add about either of these gentlemen or anything else that we were just talking about here on this episode of Profiles in the Blues? Feel free to send us an email to imbalancehistory at gmail.com. And if you happen to see either of these cats live, we want to hear about your experience as well. We're on all social media. I showed you mine. You show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Twitter, at Imbalance Histo. Facebook, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, and the same for Instagram. But we'd love to hear from you. If we missed anything, left anything out of the timeline, please let us know. We're learning, too. I'm going to go listen to Electric Mud, man. And just kind of rock away the afternoon. Thanks for finding it and tuning in. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. So till the next time that we light the lamps here in the Dark Doc Media Studios, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. This is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll.